Take your Bibles and turn to um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. And we're going to start there tonight, but I want to read, before I read that section, let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 59, uh, verses 16 through 19. Isaiah 59. If you've not had a chance to read Isaiah 59, in a few months you might go back and read the whole chapters about how bad things get when we uh, neglect, turn away from, abandon God. And as we get to the end of that chapter, Isaiah 59, 16 says, And he, this is God, saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. For he, put on breast, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, this is the deeds of the wicked. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. But it says he saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Some of you remember Ezekiel 22.30, and it says that God sought for a man among them to stand in the gap and to make up the hedge, but he found none. And last week we started on this topic of uh, men of valor, that our nation needs men of valor. And uh, one of the fellows came to me after the service. He said, that was great. I'm, I'm motivated. But what does that mean? What, do you, what, 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 what ought we to do? And that was a good question. So that's where we're going to start tonight in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, verse 2. And we're going to talk tonight about the aspirations of a man of valor. Now, I use the word aspirations because we don't always choose everything we get to do or everything that happens to us, but we can always aspire to do more for God. Understand that. We can always aspire. Boy, I wish I could do more. And sometimes God opens those doors and we walk through them. And other times God closes doors and we don't get a chance to do all that we thought that God wanted us to do. That's okay. What are our aspirations? Our families, our families need men of valor. This church needs men of valor. Our state needs men of valor. We are privileged to live in the most consequential state in the United States. I don't mean most consequential as in the best necessarily, but let's be frank. What starts in California rarely stays in California. Now, unfortunately, a lot of what has started in California in the last 50 years has been evil, and it spread to the rest of the country. But couldn't God just as much turn our state around and start a revival here that would spread to the rest of the country? I say yes, but it's going to require men of valor. Not, we're not going to force God's hand. We're not going to make God do it our way, but certainly he's looking for men now, again, ladies, I'm going to address you toward the end of this message. Please don't feel left out. It's just that men need a holy kick in the pants sometimes. I was, I'm borrowing a phrase from someone else. It seems like women, you usually, you're here tonight. You probably took time to read your Bible at some point today or last night. Uh, you, you're, you're seeking God. But too often, us men, we're so content to just sort of we think we're just sort of riding on our wives' coattails, spiritual coattails, and that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for men of valor. And last 
week we talked about uh, Gideon and the situation in the book of Judges. And we're going to consider some of the other men in the book of Judges as we go through tonight. But what is it that we need if we're going to be men of valor? And one of the key ingredients is found here in 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Would you read that verse with me? 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Let's read it together. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Let's think about what it means to be a faithful man right after we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you again for the men that are here. I know that our culture is telling us to be somewhere else tonight. I know that. I know that most people in the United States are doing something else tonight, but I'm so glad that you've gathered this group of believers here at Elmira Baptist Church's building so that we can meet to sing your praises, to express to you how grateful we have been, how grateful we are for your goodness to us, and Lord, to challenge us again from your word. And so we ask again that your Holy Spirit would meet with us. You tell us where two or three are gathered in your name. There you are in the midst of them. We claim that promise. And we ask for you to meet with us. And we ask, Lord, that you would make these words that are your Holy Scripture alive to us. Quicken them to us. Show us how they impact our lives. Lord, lift up out of Elmira Baptist Church. Men of valor. We pray for our young men, our our boys, our teens. That from that group, there would be mighty men of valor that you use in a unique and powerful way in the United States and around the world. So Lord, give us a vision for that in the message tonight. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. I'm going to have some questions. I always try to have a few questions on Sunday night. I do a better job of asking them sometimes than others. But tonight, let's start with that word faithful. What are some words that other descriptions, other um, adjectives within or nouns that we could use to to flesh out what it means to be faithful? If a man is to be faithful, what is he going to be? David, he's going to be loyal. And our loyalty is going to be to? To God. That's right. To Jesus. Good. Loyalty. That's good. What's another word? Yes, Nan? Dependable. And when we say dependable, what what do we mean? Yeah, he shows up, you know, consistent is another good word, uh, similar to dependable. Uh, we're not going to say, boy, I wonder if so-and-so's coming. We, we, if so-and-so said he's going to be there, he's going to be there. Okay, good, dependable. What's another word that we can use to describe the word faithful? Yes, Franklin. Reliable, yep. Consistent, competent. He, he's going to be faithful. It's going to start by men taking responsibilities, taking responsibility for themselves. It starts with me taking responsibility for me. Men, it starts with you taking responsibility for you. Now let's go back to the book of Judges. What judge can we think of who was very powerful, but he never learned to discipline himself? Samson. Boy, he had strength. Boy, he was the classic masculine man. But what he lacked was the ability to discipline himself in, 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 in w- women, in, in drinking, in anger, in vengeance. He could not discipline himself. So many young men today, and unfortunately older men, are undisciplined about eternal matters. Now, they're not undisciplined. They're not undisciplined. They're just undisciplined about eternal matters. I remember talking with a pastor, and this is a 
church I administered at, administered at previously, and, and the pastor was saying, that young man is so undisciplined. Well, I happened to know that young man, and he was going to CrossFit six times a week. And I had gone with him to a CrossFit tournament where he was competing, and I don't even know how they score it, but anybody who goes to CrossFit six times a week is not undisciplined. The problem, he was disciplined about the wrong things. So, man, I'm not saying to you, you're not disciplined. You may be extremely disciplined at work. But are you disciplined in your time with the Lord? You may be extremely disciplined about your own finances. But are you disciplined about mentoring your children or the, the, the next generation that God has put in front of you? We have to not only be disciplined, we have to be disciplined about the things that matter eternally. Second, we need to be disciplined about these habits of righteousness that I've been preaching on, and that's what this message comes out of. I can preach about these disciplines. I can preach about these habits of righteousness, but are we doing them, men? Let's start with prayer. Let's imagine we could look back at the last seven days, from last Sunday night until this Sunday evening. How many hours, minutes, have we spent in concentrated prayer? Because it's one thing to talk about it, it's another thing to pray. How about our meditation? What has our meditation been in this past week? Giving. Have we disciplined our lives so that we will have the resources that enable me to give as God lays it upon my heart? The discipline of gratitude. The discipline of victorious Christian living. All of these are disciplines that we can develop. By God's grace, we can develop and we can take responsibility for ourselves even if nobody around us is interested. Even if nobody around us notices, God will notice. But there's some other areas, and we're going to come back to this one. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 17 says, Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? That you be filled with the Spirit. So men... You, if you are faithful and you're taking responsibility for yourself, you're going to want to be spirit-filled. You're going to be a man of integrity. You're going to be a person who is sincere. You're going to be, a good word I like here is transparent. You are who you are. You're not one way at work, and then when you come to church, you're a different way. And then when you go home, you're different. And then if you're meeting with your friends, you're a different person. No, someone who sees me here at church should recognize me as the same person when I'm at home, recognize me as the same person when I'm at the store. If I'm kind and smile and, and treat you well, but then I go to the store and I'm nasty to the store clerk, that's not being a person who's a man of integrity, a man who's sincere. And I, I, I know, I've talked with enough young people, one of the biggest problems for our, our young people is if you put on a mask at church and you're one way while you're here, but you're completely different at home, that's really hard for your children because they see it. And they say, huh, well, dad's one way at church, but he's completely different when he's home. Don't do that to your children. Just be who you are. Be transparent. Um, be disciplined. And the, the, the Bible word is temperate, right? Temperance is the noun. Temperate is the adjective. Can be trustworthy. Control how you approach life obviously we're going to avoid things which destroy the body, alcohol, smoking, drugs. Obviously we're going to avoid those things. But God cares about how we eat and drink. God cares about how much sleep we get. 
By the way, I don't think God wants us, as a general rule, God doesn't want us to be sleep deprived. Now, I know some of you mothers disagree with me, and I understand that, but I'm talking to men tonight. Most of us men, we can get the sleep we need. Why don't we get the sleep we need? Men, why don't we get the sleep we need? Don't blame your wife, okay? Why don't we get the sleep we need? See, people are already laughing. Let's, let's ask, why don't we get the sleep we need? What's that? Yes! Now, it used to be, when I was growing up, you'd stay up late watching shows, right? One, two in the morning to catch whatever show. I don't know that anyone actually watches television anymore. But a lot of guys, young people, are up on their phones all night. I don't know that they're doing evil. They're just wasting time when they could be sleeping. And then the next morning, their alarm goes off for a half hour. Now, I'm not talking about my own children, but... But I've, I've, I've experienced this with other people who are not in my household. And I say to the person later, why do you let your alarm go off so long? I just can't get up in the mornings. How late were you up? Four. Well, then if you stay up till four, of course it's going to be hard to get up in the morning. Part of being a man who's faithful is to be disciplined about our sleep, punctual to work, punctual when we worship here at church. By the way, speaking about work, part of being faithful, being a faithful man is to be hardworking and to be self-sufficient. If you have not been paying attention to the economic news, there is millions of men aged 25 to 54 who have disappeared from the workforce. The last number I read was 7 million men in the United States ages 25 to 54 who are able-bodied, they're not disabled, should be working, are not currently working. You wonder, why do we have inflation and yet we can't seem to have enough people, find enough people to work? A lot of people don't want to work. A lot of men don't want to work. I don't know how many times my wife and I have been counseling a wife whose husband, frankly, doesn't want to work consistently. Yeah, he may go get a job and work for a week or two or a month or six months, but then he's always looking for the next job. Well, what was wrong with the last job? Well, my boss. Well, my hours. Well, my... Listen... Very few people get to do exactly what they like to do. A lot of men work hard, go to a job every day. They don't necessarily love it. It's not that they like it, but it's a way to earn money to support their families. And by the way, we're going to look at that later, a scripture verse. God wants you men to support your families. Now, the fact that there are exceptions to that rule doesn't mean the whole rule is invalid. Every once in a while, you meet a man. He's not able-bodied. Uh, my, my, my wife and I have a, a, a dear friend we went to college with. He, he really can't work. He's got some illness that prevents him from working. I, I don't blame him for not working. I understand that. But it's a general rule, men. We ought to be hardworking. We ought to be taking care of ourselves. Because frankly, if you can't take care of yourself, how are you going to take care of other people? Now, let me talk to the ladies for a second. And I, single ladies, okay? You late, married ladies, it's too late for you. But I have noticed that oftentimes single ladies are attracted to, to men who are not able to take care of themselves because they feel sorry for them. I think, I think, opinion here, that what I just said is, is reality, but my opinion is I think that there's this mothering instinct. And they think, you know, I could help him become more responsible. No, no. You need to stay, as far as, as, far as marriage maturity, you need to stay as far away from those men as you can. If they can't take care of themselves, they're not going to be able to take care of you. So, ladies, that, that's free. Men, we've got to be able to take care of ourselves first 
Because God wants us to do more than take care of ourselves. So the first part is we've got to be faithful in our own lives. But second, we have to be faithful to take care of our families. Now, who can we think of in the book of Judges? Actually, he starts in that time period of Judges. He's actually in the book of 1 Samuel, who did a fine job. As far as we can tell, he did a fine job of taking care of himself, but he did a terrible job with his sons. Eli. There's no hint that Eli himself was a, was a particularly wicked person or did a lot of stupid things. But his sons were totally out of control, and he refused to deal with them beyond saying, hey, don't do that. And when we say out of control, I mean it was bad. It was hurting God's name. It was preventing people from worshiping in the tabernacle. And he should have said, you're either out of here or get rid of these guys. But he wouldn't control his own family. And we need men of valor who not only take control of themselves, but also can take control of their families. So here are some of the things that, that you need to do if you're going to, take, to, to lead and be responsible for your own family. The Bible calls us men to teach our children Bible principles. Here's Deuteronomy 6.7. Deuteronomy 6.7, Thou shalt teach them these laws that God gave diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. We're called to teach these Bible principles. We're called to provide for our families. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, But if any provide not for his own, and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. God expects us men not just to take care of ourselves, to be faithful and yep, do good for ourselves, but also to, to expand our influence to include the families that God has given to us. And by the way, that's a prerequisite for those men who then serve in the church because 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, speaking about uh, bishops, pastors, says this, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And it says this about deacons in 1 Timothy 3.12, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So let me help you understand this, men. If you can't be faithful and take responsibility for yourself, you're not ready to take on the responsibilities of a family. If you are faithful and you take responsibility for yourself and God increases your influence so that you have a family and you're going to be faithful and take responsibility for them, that comes before you take on church responsibilities. By the way, men, by God's grace, this won't happen, but men, you are responsible to protect this church from people who will say that they're leaders who will come in and they're not taking care of their own family first. Just, just be frank with them. Listen, we'd love for you to serve here as a pastor. We'd love for you to serve here as a deacon. We'd love for you to be a trustee, but you don't fit the biblical qualifications. I was talking with someone recently, not, not a member here at Elmira Baptist Church, and he was talking about those biblical qualifications for a pastor. And he said, you know, but basically he said, you know, I think those are sort of suggestions. They're not suggestions. Now, why did he say their suggestions? Because he wasn't living up to them and he wanted to be a leader in his church. We've got to protect our church from those who aren't taking care of themselves and who want to take on a wife and they're not ready. And we need to protect our, our church from those who are not taking care of their families, but who suddenly want to be leaders in the church. So take care of yourself, take care of your family. But also men, God wants you to be a part of this church and have a significant 
responsibility here. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6, verse 5, and we're going to look at what I understand to be the election of the first deacons in the church. The word deacon does not appear in this chapter, so I I know some people disagree, but Acts chapter 6, notice verse 5 with me. Notice the um, characteristics of these men who are caring for the church. Acts chapter 6, verse 5, and the saying, the saying that the apostles would give themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer and that they should elect some men to take care of the needs of the widows. And the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. What are the two characteristics of uh, these men who take on responsibilities in the church? They are full of faith, and they're full of the Holy Ghost. Now let's start with that full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Spirit. Let's talk about some things that will keep us from being full of the Spirit, and that is, we can't be full of ourselves and full of the Spirit. We can't be proud men and full of the Spirit. Pride quenches the Spirit like throwing a bucket of water on a small fire. We've got to... So when I say we can't be proud, we can't be chauvinistic. We can't be more worried about our religiosity, about our rituals, than we are concerned about truth. We can't be full of ourselves and be full of the Spirit, and we can't be full of sin and full of the Spirit. The Spirit-filled man experiences daily victory over sin. I preached about it this morning when it comes to sanctification. So if you're struggling with sin... Before you want to be a leader here at this church, ask God to give you that daily victory over sin. We can't be full of our culture and full of the Spirit. We had a saying when I was at Bible college, you can't be an expert in the comics and an expert in the New Testament. I'm going to update that. You can't be an expert in Marvel movies and full of the Spirit. I, I really don't see how you can do that. Marvel comes out with, what, a couple of movies a year and people get online and they talk about what they really think happened. I don't care. It's a movie. But a lot of men, we get, we get sidetracked on rabbit holes. You can't be an expert in NBA stats and full of the spirit. Now, I don't mind if you watch basketball, but don't go down these rabbit holes where you know more about the next Marvel movie than you do about your Bible where you know more about the NBA All-Star Game than you do about the state of Elmira Baptist Church. Because you can't be a leader unless you're full of the Spirit, and you can't be a full, full of the Spirit if, you're, if you are distracted by things that really don't matter for eternity. So if I can state this positively, I want to see you expand beyond taking responsibility for yourself and beyond taking responsibility for yourself and your family to share some of the responsibilities of this church. And if you want to do that, I'm encouraging you to grow in your experience of walking in the Spirit. We need men, we need a church full of men who know what it is to walk in the Spirit. Now again, walking in the Spirit is hard to define and it's not something we can measure. I walk in the Spirit 63%. You can't measure it. But you can know, you men know when you're walking in the Spirit and when you're walking in the flesh. And we need a church that's full of men who walk in the Spirit. But let me ask you this. 
Uh, but let me move on here because we can't define that. But what we can do is we can talk about your personal example. One of the things I do for myself as I'm, as I'm deciding what my priorities are, I ask myself questions like this. What if everybody attended worship, Bible studies, and prayer meetings as often as you do? Now you say, well, you're the pastor. You have to come. Well, that's true. <laughs> that is true. I, I, I believe that, yeah. But you know, I wish you'd be here Sunday school, Sunday morning. You're here Sunday night. I wish you'd be here on Wednesday night too. What, what if everybody said, ah, oh, Wednesday night's not important. I'm just going to stay home. What if everybody said, ah, Sunday school, 9.45, that's awful early. I'm just going to stay home. What if everybody gave their tithe as you do? I'm just asking, what if everybody gave their tithe as you do? If you're going to be a leader in the church, you've got to be a man of faith. And a man of faith doesn't worry about what the checkbook says. He worries about what God's telling him to do. What if everybody promoted this church, and I, I, I say promote the church, but I don't mean that in an advertising type of way. What if everybody was as excited about Elmira Baptist Church and a witness to our Savior's resurrection as you are? What kind of church would we have? What if everybody was as hospitable as you are? What kind of church would we have? What if everybody served in the church as you serve? Now, one of the things I've learned about churches is we've got a whole bunch of different kinds of people in here because we need a bunch of different ministry. Not everybody needs to do exactly what Matt's doing. Not everyone needs to do exactly what I'm doing. Not everyone needs to do exactly what Christy is doing. But what you do need to do is say, what abilities, what, what uh, possibilities has God put before me? Let me do that. I think of Rose Schmidt. You know what Rose Schmidt could do? She could cook. And did she use her cooking for God's glory? Yeah. You say, well, I don't, you know, cooking's not in the church constitution. There's a lot of things that aren't in the church constitution. We need done around here. And sometimes people say, well, I I just don't, I'm not good at music or I'm not good at teaching or, okay, fine. But what are you good at? What could you do? What if everybody prayed? What if everyone who was Part of Elmira Baptist Church prayed for the church as much as you pray. Because that's what we need. We need men who are going to be examples. And they can say, follow, Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. We need men who can say that, follow me as I follow Christ. If you're going to be in, uh, take responsibility for this church, we need to train the next generation. Now, I, I, I perceive that our biggest obstacle to training the next generation is what I call patience. Because have you ever worked with someone and then they just sort of abandon you and just do what they want to do anyway and you feel like it was a waste of your time? If you've never done that, you need to help more people. Because that's very common. You know, I mean, you pour in and you pour in and then they just do something bizarre and you're scratching it. What in the world? But you can't give up on people. And let me remind you, I remind myself of this, I'm glad people didn't give up on me as a teenager. If you would have known me as a teenager, you wouldn't have seen much hope for Elmira Baptist Church. But God has an amazing way of taking what seems like rough and very raw material and molding it into a mature man. 
And as men here at Elmira Baptist Church, we need to do a better job of taking uh, people who are younger than ourselves under our wing and helping them to mature. It's not an easy, it's not an easy job. It involves teaching. Who are you teaching what you know about the Bible? Now, it should start within your own family. If you have children, start there. If you don't have children, though, and I mentioned this to the men on, on, uh, Sunday, on Wednesday night, if you don't have children of your own or your children are in another state, they're geographically distant, that doesn't mean you can't help the young people here at Elmira Baptist Church. I've been grateful for the, young, uh, for the people who've reached out to my son, who's a young man, to be a help and encouragement to him. Teaching the next generation, mentoring them, walking alongside them, actively watching how they're doing, asking how they're doing, where you perceive some, some struggle, some trouble, praying for them, giving advice, encouraging them. It's so easy to tear people down. It's harder to think, okay, what's the right word here? What's the thing I can say that's going to help this person? But Proverbs tells us that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. And pictures of silver. It's easy for me to be critical of uh, less mature Christians. But I'm glad that people weren't critical of me when I was a less mature Christian. So what are we doing to um, mentor the next generation, to train the next generation, to disciple? That's the Bible word, to disciple the next generation. Who are you actively working? Man, I'm asking you, who are you actively working to disciple? Again, if you have children, especially if you have children in your home, that's where it starts. But many of us, our children are either grown, they've moved, they're out doing on their own. Could you spend more time working with the young people here at Elmira Baptist Church? Billy has four young men who often attend his, his uh, uh, Sunday school class at 945. Could you reach out to them? Could you reach out to our teens? We don't have a lot of teens right now. I wish we had more teens. And you know how we're going to get more teens? You're going to reach out to them and show an interest in them. You know, teens will come for fun and games. Yes, you can always draw a crowd of teens for fun and games. The problem is you don't keep a bunch of teens that you've drawn with fun and games with biblical truth. You can only keep playing fun and games. By the way, if you're not aware of this, let me just, I've read enough uh, uh, contemporary church history to understand this is why the seeker-sensitive church grew up. They had attracted all these teens with fun and games, and then they realized these teens don't want serious Bible teaching. So what can we do to make it interesting? What can we do to keep their interest? Well, you can't preach the Bible because if you preach the Bible to uh, unsaved people, they're not going to come. So we call it seeker-sensitive. And what we want to do is we want to reach the people who are not saved. Listen, that's not the model that we need. So how are we going to attract? If we're not going to attract teens with simply fun and games, and we want to have fun and games. Teens, don't worry. I'm going to let you have fun, okay? But we're not going to try to attract a group of teens that way. How are we going to attract them? By taking a serious interest in them. Do you know how many teens are starving for someone to take an interest in them? I can guarantee you that tomorrow at Vacaville High School, uh, at uh, Wilseywood High School, there are going to be dozens and maybe hundreds of teens who have no relationship with their mom and dad. I'm not saying they don't know who their mom and dad are. They're orphans. They, They probably live with mom and dad. But they don't have a relationship with them. And they are looking, they are starved for someone to just talk with them. Could we do that? Could we reach the next generation in that way? 
So, starts with ourselves. We're going to be faithful. We're going to be consistent. We're going to be disciplined in our own lives. Then as the Lord opens that door of opportunity, it'll be our families, our wife, our children. Then we brought it out a little bit broader, and it's going to be our church. Once we've learned to serve our families, to be responsible for our families, we're going to take on responsibilities in the church. But there's one more ring here that I think Elmira Baptist Church can do a better job of. And this is really where my thinking began on this message, and that is we need men of valor in our community. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but we actually elect all the leaders in our country. I guess you could say, well, there's administrative law judges. and oh, Yeah, I, I understand there's bureaucrats. But do you realize if you want to be the mayor of Vacaville, and you, li- you have to live in Vacaville, okay. But if you want to be the mayor of Vacaville, you could be the mayor of Vacaville. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a godly mayor in Vacaville? You know how that's going to happen? Somebody who's a Christian man is going to have to step up and say, you know what, not only am I going to take responsibility for me and my family and take some responsibilities in my church, I'm going to take responsibility for the community. Do you realize we could have a church member who is on the board of commissioners? By the way, and I don't mean this in a, in a, in a rude way, but most politicians are not particularly bright. I mean, they're not MIT graduates. I was at a church in Portland one time. Um, when I was on deputation, it was a church in Portland. They'd asked me to teach a Sunday school class to adults, and we were talking about um, uh, just whatever. And this one fellow kept chiming up and, and really throwing out some bizarre stuff. And then I found out he was on the Multnomah County Board of Supervisors. He was a young Christian. He really didn't know much about his Christian faith. So that's why I kept saying bizarre stuff. But you don't have to, here's my point, you don't have to be intelligent to be a politician. Don't say to me, well, I'm just not that smart. Obviously, most of our politicians aren't that smart. You could be one of those guys. Yeah, I know, isn't it great? You could be one of those guys. You know what? We tell ourselves, it's, it's just not important. Uh, uh, p- politics doesn't matter. Yes, it does. We need some Christians who will run for office. And yes, you could be one of those guys. Now, I know it's hard. Uh, I, I talked to enough people to understand in, on the edges of politics to know that people in politics are constantly attacked. I, I get that. But guess what? If God can give you grace to live your life, just the problems of your daily life, can't he give you grace to be a leader in our community? We need some people to run for state office. Our state assemblyman, our, our current uh, assemblywoman is uh, Lori Wilson. And I've not met her, not, don't really know much about her. But frankly, I think we can do better. No, no offense to her. We need someone to take that job. Our state senator is Bill Dodd. Again, not, nothing against him. He seems like a really nice guy. He's certainly interested in his constituents. I think we could do better. Where are these people going to come from? They're going to come from two things. Number one, I'm going to encourage you starting today and through the rest of the uh, election cycle, which is a whole woo, two years away, 2024, November 2024, would you join me in praying that God will raise up godly men to run for office in our state or at least in our county? If we're not praying for it, are we surprised when God doesn't do it? Let's at least pray. Let's, let's do that much. Let's just pray that God will raise up godly men to run for office in Vacaville, in Fairfield, in Solano County, in the state of California. Let's start there. Number two, we need some godly men who will say, I'll do that. 
Now, working in politics is not for everybody. It's, it's, it's strange work. It really, to me, it's strange work. Not in an evil way. It's just hard. But if God calls you to do it, we need some godly men to run for office in our city, in our county. Um, I, I do know uh, enough local politicians. You probably know even more than I. We know where to start. Could we have some men? Could we have some men who attended Vacaville's city council meetings? Could we have some men who attended the Solano Board of Supervisor meetings? Now, before you say yes, they meet on Wednesday nights, so that's tough. But could we have some men who would at least attend? I was listening to a group of pastors a couple of weeks ago. One of the pastors, uh, this is during COVID, he was sharing that during COVID, uh, a sheriff's deputy came by. And he came to the church uh, during the week and he said, I just want you to know the sheriff's office does not want you meeting on Sundays. Well, he did the right thing. He, he, went to the, he, he wasn't there when that message was left with the uh, office. So the next day he went to the sheriff's office and he asked to speak to the sheriff. And uh, even though it was COVID, probably they had masks on, but the sheriff gave him a few minutes and the sheriff said, what's your complaint? The guy said, I've been told your office doesn't want us to meet. And the sheriff said, who did you hear that from? He said, well, deputy sheriff so-and-so. He said, well, that wasn't my, that wasn't what I asked him to do. That opened the door to that pastor becoming the chaplain for his county sheriff. That meeting. He said, recently the sheriff called him and said, hey, I need some advice. Would you come and talk with me? You know where that started? It started with a pastor who was kind. He didn't go into the sheriff's office and say, you guys are a bunch of... No, he just went in and said, hey, uh, this is what we were told. What, what does that mean? What do you want? And opened up that conversation. There's a pastor who goes down to um, the Capitol. He goes uh, about once a week. He lives not far from the Capitol, so he can do that. He goes down once a week. And he just takes some time to pray. He tries to meet as many of our assemblymen and our state assemblymen and our state senators as he can. And his uh, uh, um, district is represented by James Gallagher. You might have noticed it. James Gallagher is on our prayer list. His district is represented by James Gallagher. So because he's in that district, he's had meetings with state assemblyman James Gallagher. Now, I know a little bit about James Gallagher. I've, I've heard him speak to a group before. I don't know him personally, but I've heard him speak to a group. And I do know that, I, that at one point he got up on the floor of our uh, state assembly and gave the gospel as clearly as he could because he's a Christian man. And recently he was really struggling and he called this pastor and he said, hey, would you come and pray for me? Because someone was interested enough to reach out to his state assemblyman. So could, could you reach out to the state assemblywoman, Lori Wilson, and say, hey, uh, I'm praying for you. You see, we need some people who move beyond, we need some men who move beyond just taking responsibility for themselves and for their families and for Elmira Baptist Church to take responsibility for our community. We need that, men. And you know what? It's going to take some sacrifice. It's probably going to mean you don't get to do some of the things you like to do. It's probably going to mean you're going to be put in some uncomfortable, awkward situations. But we need more men. By the way, Assemblyman James Gallagher has been elected as the minority leader for the state assembly. So here in the state of California, our minority leader is a Christian man who is bold enough to give the gospel on the floor of the state assembly, which takes more guts than I think I have. Amen. So I'm asking you to pray for him. Now, unfortunately, the minority party doesn't even have enough members to stop any legislation. 
But you know what? That could change if we had some men of valor who stood up and quit saying like Gideon, well, I can't, and I need two fleeces, and then I need this, and then I need that, and just said, God, what do you want me to do? We need some men of valor. You're going to have to start with yourself. You're going to have to take responsibility for your family. As you learn to take responsibility for yourself and for your family, then I'm asking you to help us here at Elmira Baptist Church with responsibilities. But even beyond that, we need some men to step up and take responsibility for our community. What would God have you to do as a man of valor? Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to look at this message tonight. And I ask that you would open our eyes to what you're calling us to do. I pray that you'd raise up from this small group a man who'd be willing to find out what needs to be done in our local politics. Maybe he runs for office, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he supports someone who does. I don't know what you're calling him to do, but open his eyes to see that there's more than just himself and his family and his church. I ask that you would raise up for our city of Vacaville, for our county, Solano County, for our state, the state of California, and for the federal government, men, uh, Christian men of character who are taking responsibility for themselves, for their families, and in their church, I'm asking that you'd raise them up to run for office in 2024. I'm asking that you'd give us a greater burden to pray for our local representatives, to pray for our state representatives, to pray for our federal representatives, and to ask for your intervention in our nation, not, not so much politically, but in changing the hearts of your people, in sanctifying us and purifying us, and making us a people who are powerful, not because we have political power, but because we have power with you. Burden us for prayer. Burden the men of Elmira Baptist Church to pray, to pray for themselves, to pray for their families, to pray for their church, to pray for me, to pray for our, uh, our government. And I ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.